Welcome back to the Athletes for Justice podcast. On this episode, we talk to Super Bowl champion and founding member of the nonprofit Athletes for Justice, Trey Burton. We also talk with author, Bible teacher, itinerant pastor, and co-host of the Home Team podcast. We host that together. Steve Carter. This is an unbelievable episode you're going to love. We talk about Michigan football, Steve's love, infatuation with Michigan football. We also talk about Trey and I sitting down with gang leaders and the superintendent of the Chicago Police Force. We talk about the, the University of Chicago Crime Lab and their impact that we've seen them make in the world, and also some nonprofits that we got a chance to to work with and learn from while we were spending time together as teammates and friends in Chicago. Tune in, listen in, and let me know what you think. First of all, Steve and Trey, thank you all so much for coming on with me. Um, We go back a little bit. People don't know this. The three of us go back a little bit to days in the the Chicagoland area, specifically with the Chicago Bears. Trey, you're with Indy now. Um, And we had some Bible studies. We were doing some Bible studies in the Bears facility in the morning. Steve, you would come and you would help teach. It was a small group and the group grew. Um, We spent some time together there. Just talk a little bit about a little bit about that relationship, Steve. What was that like for you getting to know Trey? Trey, what was that like for you having Steve come through? Well, for me, I mean, it was it was an honor, you know, just to have a chance to kind of see you two lead. I mean, I just I, I just showed up, and um, you know, you guys would come in with your your plated food and sit down and uh, at like eight, and Trey would make some joke about Michigan football, and I would try to showcase a little grace um did you succeed he, in showcasing grace or did no, you not at all not at all because he was right <laughs> he, for he, much of what he was saying i just was he was bitter. a model model citizen for showing grace <laughs> <laughs> but uh um but it, it it was it was a an awesome opportunity just to to see you two in my opinion uh really uh set the tone and the culture for um which is an integrated life of faith and justice and um, not just trying to be people on the field, but also trying to impact uh, the city of Chicago, which, you know, a, a city that we all, all, all love and, and appreciate. But um, for me, it was, it was fun. It was fun to watch you guys take your faith and not just learn more head knowledge, um, like not just learn more plays, but really begin to dream about ways to, uh, see the culture, the locker room, and see the streets and the city uh, transformed by 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 grace and peace and the way of Jesus. So for me, it was like I got a front row seat, and I I, I left so inspired and encouraged. But um, really, really grateful for for you two and uh, what you both mean to me. So, no, and I mean Sam, we've talked about it at, at length. You know, after especially after he would leave, just how thankful we were. I mean, this guy has so much wisdom. It's ridiculous, you know, and so uh, just being able to take some time, drive all the way up to the facility up there in um, Lake Forest and just spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes with us and so into us. Uh, I think it was just really special for all of us. We you um, he, he, he would probably come like you probably come like twice a week. And uh, just it was so much of a joy. I know everybody wished that you could be there every single day. I know for me, it was extremely beneficial um, and just a different views and the um the history and just all that man it was just it was so much fun for all of us to learn and uh get to meet you and now we're you know we're talking 
four, three, four years later, you know, on a podcast. It's pretty cool. And Trey, you and I go back a little bit just because you played in Philly with my brother Emmanuel. And uh, we, I think we met on FaceTime a couple times, maybe ran into each other at some conferences, but we played together in Chicago. And one of the coolest things for me was to see – I don't know if you remember this, but it was probably your our, your first week there, maybe your f- first couple weeks there. We sat down at a place called Real Urban Barbecue. Yeah. We sat down at a place and it was, it, it, was, <laughs> it was and it was April. It was April and it was cold. And we started and we started dreaming, started dreaming about what are ways to make Chicago the city that everyone hopes that it could be. Um, you had this heart, you had this passion for change. I know you had seen a lot of change and made a lot of change in Philly, but not only in Philly, around the world. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But that conversation really left me inspired because for those who don't know, uh, you're one of the, you know, you're one of the founding members, board members of, of Athletes for Justice, the nonprofit. And the idea that we had was to try and make a change in Chicago. What if we got people, athletes, influencers whatever to make a change in Chicago then also grow to other parts of the of the world and you did that in 2018 specifically you did that can you tell us talk with us a little bit about that not necessarily that season but some of the conversations that were had and some of the injustices you saw and ways you wanted to make a change well, I definitely didn't do it. I can tell you that right now. There was a bunch of guys, you know, that were men and women that were a huge factor um, in all that was going on. You know, I think anytime um, you can partner with great organizations that are already doing phenomenal work in cities, especially in cities as big as Chicago, I mean, it's really it's it's hard not to feel like a like a fly on the wall or like a like a speck of sand on the beach, you know, in a massive city like Chicago. Um, but it was just really cool to. Uh, get to meet and meet my teammates and see their heart, you know, for the community. A lot of guys, and you know the same just as well as I do, like a lot of guys want to do stuff, but the opportunity or the understanding of the issue isn't necessarily, you know, front and center. Like you kind of have to dig around and find um, what's going on and what needs to happen and, you know, where, where you can help at. And so um, with, you know, finding, finding or founding athletes for justice, I think, um, it was, it made it a lot easier for our teammates and other guys in the team to really understand the issue. I think, you know, one of the things I'll never forget is the Chicago crime lab. Uh, we spent, you know, hours just sitting there talking with them and man, the wisdom and the issues and the understanding and the knowledge of the, what is actually happening in Chicago. Um, and so for those who don't know, like the Chicago crime lab, I mean, maybe you could probably explain it a little better than I could, but, um, they basically, look over all the nonprofits in the city of Chicago and uh, they find out and they see which ones are actually doing the most work and the best work for the issues that are that year, you know, every year is different things that go on. But, um, and so that's just sitting there listening to all the issues, seeing the crime rates, seeing, you know, the people, people being shot, the murders. Um, it was just eye opening. you know, it's a huge level, but there are so many awesome organizations um, in Chicago that are helping um, and one of the one of the areas we really wanted to focus on during the 2018 year was children. Um, and so, you know, organizations like By the Hand who you know help take these kids um, and the kids that are failing in school and basically bring them to an after school program to help work on their weaknesses so that they're able to pass. And I think it's like a 90 percent graduation rate if once you go through the By the Hand um, process. And so just seeing, you know, organizations like that and actually getting to meet these kids um, and seeing ladies like Azalea, you know, like Azaria, like Azaria, yeah, Azaria, uh, 
like, gosh, man, like she's such an impressive, you know, young lady. Uh, and so just being able to experience it firsthand was definitely special for me. And Steve, going to you on an earlier episode of this podcast, I was trying to answer the question of what is justice? And it's a big and it's a it's a heavy question. That's how, that's how I started the last podcast. I said, what is justice? And and on that episode, for those who didn't listen, it was Emmanuel and Andy Minio. They were on that. And the question that really spawned out of that was really asking the question of what is injustice? What is injustice? Because before you can define what justice is, it may be easier at times to see what is injustice. And for you, Steve, as a pastor, as a friend, as a sports fan, as a, as a sports guy, but also as a, as a, as a human being and a follower of, of Jesus, what is injustice? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, I think oftentimes I, I just start with a biblical framework, right? Trying to, trying to make sense of, uh, the world. And, and you have to understand that when this place was created, it was created for a purpose. It was created uh, for order. And um, we know whether it's a, an offense or a defense, whether, whether it's a car, um, whether it's our own personal lives, um, the Psalms write how we are bent like to go and rebel. Like we are bent to um, be out of alignment, uh, to not run properly. And when I think of injustice, I, th- I think it's the systems that perpetuate the chaos or taking something that's in order or in alignment. It's the systems that actually perpetuate them to be more chaotic or out of order. And, and often what many people see is kind of synonymous, but they're really not, is compassion and justice. So the word compassion comes from the plural, is a plural form of the word womb. So we are compassionate when we care for what God has birthed into this world. Like we care for what God has created. And so if we see something, someone hurting on the side of the road, we see, we see someone sick, we see suffering, we often feel it. We feel that, that, that feeling within us, that's not right. There's something not right. And we go and we help that person. When we understand justice and injustice, we begin to go, well, what caused that person to be hurting? What, co- what was the system that allowed, that perpetuated this level of brokenness? That leads us basically up the river. That leads us into bigger conversations that are more systemic or more um, generational or more kind of um, just broken in nature. And when we are people of justice or speaking to injustice, we're speaking to the systems, whereas compassion is speaking to the needs and the aches of the people. I think that's kind of how I'm, I try and make sense of it on a, on a, on a simple, simple format. And you asked me, what did I like about Steve? Uh, there you go. Right there. That's first, <laughs> first, firsthand knowledge right there. What right this dude brings to the table every time. No, that's unbelievable, man. And it's okay. With that being the framework, this this idea of man something doesn't feel right something was birthed and it doesn't feel right and I, th- I think Trey that's what we saw for those who don't know we got a chance yeah we we sat down with some of the people from the Chicago Crime Lab but we also sat down with some leaders of gangs in Chicago 
people who are literally at the gang tables. They're trying to, you know, negotiate between the gangs. We sat down with them. Police force, too, head of the police force. Right, the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. We sat down with him. And on this journey, it was almost like we kept on seeing that something's not right. Something's not right. To Steve's point, there's something that's broken. But if, if injustice is seeing that something's right, something's not right, what is our response? What, what can or should be our response to injustice? Start with Steve. I mean, for me, it's, it's curious. I think the human nature is to fix it, right? We want to fix it. Now, I think when it's a person, um, it's a lot easier. When it's a system, uh, there's still so much I need to learn. So what do you think about uh, injustice when it comes to race or injustice when it comes to Middle East? Uh, so I've been doing a lot of uh, work over the last uh, decade in Israel and Palestine and just talking and learning about uh, each of the storylines. And I think in some ways it'd be easy to make my own assumptions based on my own experience as, you know, a a person of privilege growing up in Southern California. But then you go and you sit and you listen to Jewish leaders talk about the Holocaust and they have this existential threat. Nobody cared about us. Six million people gone overnight. And then you sit with a Palestinian uh, Christ follower um, or a, a Palestinian like, who is um, Muslim and, and you hear their experience and they've got a word in Arabic. It's fish mustakbul. And it literally means we have no future. So, so you, you put two people at the table and one side goes, we have no future. And another side is living an existential threat. And you are perpetuating something like just, just sign a peace agreement, just sign a peace agreement, just, just have peace. But there's so much like baggage and pain and just angst and fear that like, unless I get curious and learn that and see the, the sadness, see the grief, see the, the humanity, um, then it just is almost lip service. So for me, one of those first steps is, is getting curious, um, almost learning. Uh, a friend of mine says, you got to visit their position. You have to visit the position. Doesn't mean you got to build a house there. Doesn't mean you got to buy real estate there, but visit that position and learn um, and research and discover and really keep an ear to heaven asking God, um, what's the next best right step? Father me through this. What can actually lead to making, bringing order to this chaos? Trey, what would you say? Thanks for that, Steve. That Once again, he'd be dropping, yeah. this man be dropping dimes. Hey, can you ask me the question first and then <laughs> after me? No, I mean, dude, Steve hit it right on the head, bro. I mean, a lot of times, uh, listening, you know, and trying to understand where they're coming from. Like Steve said, like, you don't have to, he didn't say this specifically, but you don't have to agree with the way people feel. You know, you have to listen to them and try to understand. Like, I believe I heard a pastor say this. Um, we should never have a conversation with somebody or talk about somebody and say, I don't understand how he, how he thinks that way. or I don't understand why he feels that way. We should never be able to do that. Or we should never do that because that means we weren't listening. That means we're not trying to take the time to be in their shoes and try to get their advantage, you know, their point of view of whatever the issue may be. So I think um, listening is huge. Just like Steve said, I also think like there's, there's already in America, there's you, most likely there's a lot of times there's a, a good organization already trying to do the work in that area. And so like, for me, 
Um, my wife and I have kind of devoted our time in the league to working with International Justice Mission, the, the largest anti-trafficking organization in the world. Um, and like, instead of creating my own foundation, which I'm not against anybody creating their own foundation, but like, why would I create my own foundation when my heart and my soul is in what they're doing already? You know, they're already light years ahead of me. Um, it's not about me, you know, it's not about Trey Burton's foundation. It's about, you know, rescuing children from being, you know, to, for, from being forced to work manually, from being trafficked, you know, sexually to um, being on, exploited online. Like there's so many, it's so deep. And so for me, it's like, man, wh what is, what is the issue that is on my heart? Like, what do I truly want to help change? Um, and then boom, next, next thing is like, what's the best organization that's already doing that? And how can I help and improve and better, you know, that organization with what I have, you know, with my hands, basically. Trey, was there a time, and thank you for even providing that perspective, because a lot of people just from my, from my perspective in the NFL and even in other sports leagues, a lot of people, there's this pressure, they feel this pressure to start a foundation, right? Or you made it to the NFL, start a nonprofit, start a foundation. And so many of us, we don't know how to start a foundation. I know how to play football. I know how to play baseball. Maybe I know how to play basketball. I don't know how to start a foundation. I don't know how to start a nonprofit. But like Trey said, there's so many nonprofits that are already on the ground doing the work. And so how about I just align with one of them? There's, there's, and that, and the, the, beauty, the beauty about that is, is that when, you're, when you align with someone else, you're not caring about logos or egos. That's one thing I heard a, a, a nonprofit leader in St. Louis say. He said, the biggest thing I've seen, the biggest thing I've seen, especially when it comes to athletes, for better or for worse, he said, oftentimes what gets in the, the biggest thing I've seen that gets in the way of moving toward justice or moving towards positive change are logos and egos. Those always get in the way. And so, Trey, to your point, I love what you've done and saying, you know what, I'm not going to go and start the Trey Burton Foundation, though it would sound good and hey, it has my name on it and has my, my logo. I'm just going to go and help people who are hurting, International Justice Mission. I'm going to go and try and end slavery worldwide. I'm going to try and end forced labor and human trafficking and sex trafficking and, and, and child exploitation. I'm going to spend my life in the NFL and outside of the NFL doing that. So I salute you for that. My, my, I got a question for either one of you. Can you tell me about a time in your life when you felt that feeling of, man, that's just not right? Tell me about that time, and then what did you do about it, whether personally or something that you saw? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say the first time I heard about what IJM does, my, my wife and I had two kids at the time. Um, and the founder, Gary Haugen, was at, we were at a conference and he was up speaking and uh, just, you know, some of the stories, some of the videos from the survivors um, and just some of the things that are going on. Like I had young kids and these were, I mean, kids, my, my kids age, you know, three, four, five years old that were being forced to, you know, lay bricks or work in the, work in the lake in Ghana or, you know, being forced to provide sexual services for adult, you know, grown men, like just sick, like unbelievable, nasty, you know, demonic things. Um, and we knew we were actually looking at the time. It was our first year in the league. We were looking at at that time to partner with an organization. And dude, as soon as he finished his, you know, 45 minute, you know, talk, I mean, 300 people in the room, 295 of them were boohoo crying. Like they were passing tissues out to everybody. And like, dude, you cannot be affected after seeing that if and if you're not affected then there's something we need to have a conversation because there's something going on you know with you but uh so yeah we once we saw that we're like man this is no question you know no more no more prayer needs to be had like we're all in I'm with these guys and so um and then obviously going over there and meet the survivors playing basketball with some of these kids 
I mean, eight, nine-year-old boys, three or four of them, you know, playing basketball with these dudes who are so innocent, dude. They should never have to go through what they've been through, bro. And like just them actually smiling and laughing and actually playing basketball, knowing that they had just gone through all that crap that they should never experience. And like, it made it real for me, you know, like we, in America, we, you hear about it. People don't want to talk about it. It's a touchy subject, like, you know, whatever um, it happens overseas, doesn't happen here. All those are, you know, not true things, but like to be able to experience and to meet these people and they are actually human beings and they should never experience stuff like that. So that's, that's a long answer to your question. I appreciate that. Trey, Steve, yeah, man, Trey, that's a that's such a powerful, powerful picture. Um, you know, the, in Ghana, Lake Volta, where all these kids were basically just working on fishing boats, like at little ages. Yeah. And um, our, our family is really connected to uh, an orphanage in Ghana and really partnered with IJM. And so the kids that get rescued from Lake Volta often will go to that orphanage. Um, and yeah. it's one of the places I've been able to see IJM's work. It's amazing. Um, hey, for me, I, I, you know, I grew up in Southern California and, you know, kind of, uh, one of those like soccer, uh, cities and, uh, you work really hard and, um, and it was basically all image driven, like who you are, who you hang out with, what you look like. Uh, and my, I had this amazing, amazing youth pastor and he uh, invited me to go down to Chile. And uh, I, uh, I was like, okay, I'll go with you. And, um, and so a few of us went down there and he, he was, he was really, really smart. Um, really a bit like he was about like the revolution. He'd always talk about the revolution. You know, this is Jesus is about the revolution. And I had no idea what he talked about, what he meant, you know, and this ain't so the he, revolution I, from like a couple weeks ago. We're starting a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different revolution. The, 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 I got maced. I got missed. <laughs> hey, she was, she was, the funny thing is she was from Knoxville, Tennessee, where, they, where the University of Tennessee is. So I obviously have some hate for that, that school going to Florida. But I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> I got maced. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, so he just, I remember him like one morning, we're, we're kind of, you know, in the southern part of Chile, uh, about 10 hours from Santiago. And he wakes us up at like, 5 a.m. like two of us says hey, hey come with me i'm like okay okay and like i'm like in a tent sleeping outside we get in this car and uh the chilean um antonio uh begins to drive us and we drive for like an hour and a half it's pitch black out we come to this bridge and uh he gets us out and we walk to the middle of this bridge and it's i mean it's high up between these two cliffs you look down and come to find out in the 70s um there was a uh, a coup that was thrown and happened and uh, the president um, Aleande was basically assassinated and um, a new person was put into power and, um, but like 10,000 um, poets, prophets, pastors um, they all disappeared overnight and that these 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 Aunts and grandmas began to walk around in Santiago, like the, the Casa de Blanco, the White House over there, like with signs that literally just said, Donde están? Like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And many of them were brought to this bridge and were killed and thrown over. And I'll never forget this moment. This is, this is like, he's telling me this historical story. And, 
and telling me at like 6.45 a.m. And I'll never forget this moment. This is like when justice and injustice in my whole like spiritual world shattered and had to be almost deconstructed and reconstructed. But he said, there are so many people who are praying um, and God needs our prayers. You know what God's looking for? God's looking for friends. God's looking for people who will carry his name, carry his story and make what the, where the world is broken, make it right again, make it where heaven can invade. And, and then he just looked at me and he goes, Steve, are you a friend of God? And I was like, um, I, I mean, and, and he goes, no, like, are you a friend? Like, are you willing to enter into the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of this world for the sake of Christ? And I was like, can I think about that? Like, that feels like a big, like a big question just to like ask me without coffee and without food. Um, like, and I just, it, it, I could not, I could not stop thinking about it. Like for the next week while we were there, could not stop. And I just realized like, I'm not, I use Jesus for me. I, I, I like, I'm not. And from 19 on it, it changed me. It changed the, the trajectory of my life. Um, where from that point on, I just, man, I, I want to join with what Jesus is up to and making the broken places right and the crooked streets straight. Um, and so that, that was the first time I think I literally felt it. Trey, what was that moment like for you? And, and I asked that question not as a follow-up to Steve per se, but just following you from afar and then from up close – and then from afar again, it's it seems like everywhere you go, justice follows. It seems like everywhere you go, and I'm serious, it seems like everywhere you go, people are redeemed or restored. And I say that word redeemed, uh, people who are listening, like like when you were with the, the, the Eagles, I think 2017 season, there were stories of guys across your team getting baptized in the in the cold tub or in the hot tub at the facility or whatever. You know, there were stories of that happening. And I remember being on the Bears saying, man, that's what I want because I'm a Christian. I want people to like follow Jesus. That's part of my desire. I want people to get to know him better. I want people to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. There are these stories. I was praying, God, I was like, Loki, I want to go to Philly so I could do that. And then I, the, way I, the way I put it, and I, I talked about this in my book, I said, man, I feel like God brought Philly to me when you came. God brought Philly to me. And so that, so I, I, we started this, con- this conversation, this podcast with that conversation we had in, at that Real Urban Barbecue in April. I don't know if you know what that did to me. For me, I was jumping for joy like this is an answered prayer. And then we came to Chicago. And then our, even just for that city and that team alone, we raised $827,000 from players only, players and a few coaches I mean that, and people think, and people think athletes are greedy. There's this, the, you know, athletes they don't like spending. Them. No, like we to nonprofits donated. Guys donated any guys on that team, and there are some women who are on the staff members donated anywhere from thirty dollars to thirty thousand yeah. dollars. It was amazing, and then so so, and then and even right right before this call, you were on you were on a call with International Justice Mission, an organization who you love, who you serve. Everywhere you go, justice follows. What was that moment like for you, where this? passion for change or for justice or for seeing broken things made whole when did that start well dude i appreciate that by the way um all those kind words i think 
um, man, I don't know. I think from an early age, you know, went through a lot as a kid. Um, grew up without a dad, unfortunately, like a lot of us do these days, you know, in America. But just uh, wanting to be different. I, I remember my grandma giving me a book, and I don't remember the name of the book. Don't remember anything in the book except for the last <laughs> sentence. It said uh, it gave a list of you know the amount of people that are in jail who are fatherless, the amount of people who are addicts, you know, with whatever, drugs, alcohol, you name it, that are because they don't have, they come from a fatherless home. And the last sentence after all the statistics said, um, don't just be another statistic. And I, I'll never forget that the rest of my life. And so I think I was probably 15 years old at the time, um, old enough to, you know, make the right decision, you know, or the wrong decision, you know, with whatever um, that may be. And so I think from early on from that age, but then also, kind of like what Steve was saying, like you have to, you grow up under this, a lot of times you grow up in this household who, that, that you go to church, you know, most likely because you're forced, you don't really choose to go to church. And then you also get their views on the Bible pressed on you so that you have to believe them to a degree. And like, so I had, you know, men, um, that were unbelievable leaders that helped me grow up and kind of not branch off, but like it had to become my own personal, as you know, like when you get to college, you have to be, you have, you have to have your own faith in college because no one's forcing you to go to church. No one forces you to go to Bible study. So you either go to church or you sleep in and you don't go to church and it's your own personal choice. So once I got to college, I really had to make that choice for myself. Like, man, do I really want to follow this? But then also it's like a relearning, re-education of the Bible, you know, because you know the stories just because you're forced to know them. Um, but once it becomes real, to you, uh, which I would say right around when I was in college. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, my girlfriend, who's now my wife and I decided like, man, listen, this is going to be real for us. And this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to try to make a change. So kind of like what you said, like everywhere we've gone, we've been so fortunate that God's gone before us and has put people in those cities for those times, for whatever the issue may be. So like in Philly, you know, we had eight guys who kind of like our conversation, like if I wanted to do something, I got seven of the dudes I know for sure are coming. I don't even got to ask them. Like, I know they're going to be there no matter what. Same with you. Like when I was in Chicago, like, bro, if you were going downtown or if I was going downtown or some, we'd, someone wanted us to speak somewhere, like, bro, hey, Sam, this is what we got at eight o'clock. All right, I'll see you there. No questions asked. You know, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Da, da, da. So that's that's kind of what, what we've had and what we've been shown and what we've had before us. And so we've been really fortunate to have unbelievable leaders. I mean, dude, like guys like Steve, I mean, obviously our short, our time was short together, Steve, but bro, like you impacted me. And I mean, dude, today, some of the stuff you're saying today is just, you know, profound and amazing. Like I, I just, I would love to spend more time talking with you, but I just been really fortunate to sum all that up. Really fortunate with the people that have been in the cities that I've, I've came to. And then last question for me, I appreciate the candor and being so candid in the response, in your response trade. Last question for me, cause you said something in there that and I didn't, I didn't plan on asking this, but I think it's something that something that we need to deconstruct a little bit. You talked about commitment. You talked about commitment and you said, if man, if I, if I was going to something, I had seven other dudes right there with me. There was no flaking. There was no, well, I don't know. Let me check my schedule. It was, it was this commitment. We're family. I'm there. And, and that same thing you talked about, you had it in Philly. The same thing came in Chicago. That's kind of how we were able to start this whole thing. Because one guy said, man, I'll, I will, I'm willing to give this amount. Seven other guys said, all right, I'll do the same. Right? I'm willing to go here. Seven other guys said, all right, I'll follow you. Man, I want to go to, we, you know, doing, whether it's police ride-alongs or whatever, going to meet with the superintendent. Five, six, seven other guys are all showing up. This idea of commitment, I feel like 
whether it's in 2021 or just in America, it's been devalued. There's no sense of commitment. There's no sense of, okay, let your yes be your yes, your no be your no. It's more like, well, I don't really feel like it. Steve, tell us about, can you give us a, a, a word about the importance of commitment or what, because even, even whether you're an athlete listening to this, whether you're a mom at home, no matter what you are doing, there's this idea of, of, of committing to something and l- spending your life doing something. Steve, can you, as almost like a final word, just share with us what you see when you hear that word, commitment? Totally. Can I, can I, can I flip it right back on to you though for a second? Cause I'm really curious, especially for you both. I mean, Trey, you just jumped into Indianapolis this year, Sam, last year you spent half the year with the Buccaneers. I mean, you know, uh, you've been Sam with the Cardinals, with the bears, with the Buccaneers, you know, the bills for a stint, Trey, you've been, you know, uh, obviously with Philly, the bears, the Colts and you know, who's next, but like, it's, it's one thing I think that's amazing about commitment because people who are listening probably are in their same environment, but you all have a, uh, have had to step into new locker rooms, one year deals, three year deals, not really fully guaranteed deals and still said, I'm committed to something and committed to engaging my city, engaging with what not like there's another level of commitment that I think you both have had to do because I think a lot of athletes would go, dude, I don't know how long I'm in Chicago. Why do I want to give money to it? Why do I want to help it? Why do I want to, I might be done in six months. Like I might be done after this year. Can I just ask real quick, how do you guys, when you're moving to a city on a one-year deal or a two-year deal, go, this is actually important for me to, to, because it's a value. Commitment is a value. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, that's that's what I've been most one of the most impressive things about you both have been is in these new places you're you have willfully chosen to be deliberate no matter how long the deal is or not. One of the verses that I think about when you say that it's in Jeremiah twenty nine and it's right before it's in verse four. It says, "Thus says the Lord of Hosts." God's talking to some exiles, people who were who were refugees essentially. They weren't in their land. They were refugees. And he says, this is what God says to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, he says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find welfare. And I think about that verse, and that's right before the verse when they say, you know, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, give you future and hope. I think about that verse, and it pretty much is saying, hey, wherever I send you, make it better. Make it better. Don't think about, there was a time early in my career, probably year three or year four, where, when, because anyone who knows me knows I love relationships. I love diving in, getting to know people really, really well. And there was a time in probably year three or year four when I was playing with the Cardinals where I did not want to get involved in relationships with people, my teammates, especially during training camp, because I knew half the guys were going to get cut. So I'm like, why would I spend my time leading Bible studies or doing events with these guys when in like a week from now, 
literally like 10 days from now, they're going to be gone. I may never see them again. It's a waste of time. And I thought about it for a second and I said, oh crap, that's exactly why I have to invest right now. Because in a week from now, in 10 days from now, I may never see these people again. In a, in a year from now, in two years from now, I may never be in the same city again. So why not invest in this city? Why not try to make it better? Why not try to seek out the welfare of the city and its people? I just, uh, just a few days ago, I, I, I lost my, uh, my grandmother. My grandmother just passed away. Um, and it's been really hard, really hard. So, so, so that happened. And then even since then, in the last few days, you know, my, my dad now was in, in the hospital, you know, dealing with, 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 you know, COVID and some of the side effects. He's almost 70 years old. And that's been really, really, really hard. And I got a call today, not a call, a, um, a video from some of the nonprofit, so from the kids who helped start, we, we, you know, Trey and I, some of our friends and some people in Chicago, we decided to buy a liquor store on the west side of Chicago and build a food mart there for the kids, black kids in that community to run, to manage, to get jobs and all the things. And it's, it's at that nonprofit that Dre was talking about earlier, the Buy the Hand Club for Kids, people we've been investing in, spending time with for the last three to four years. Well, they sent a video today because I told them about, I told one of the leaders what was going on just to pray for me. And they just sent a video of encouragement. And one of the 15, 16 year old kids said, Sam, I know what it's like to go through loss. I know what it's like to go through loss. I think where these people live, they see people, people die every day. One of the, I know what it's like to go through loss. I lost my, I know what it's like to lose a grandmother, to lose a loved one. Sam, we're here for you. Whatever you need. We may not be there physically, but we're with you spiritually. Another one of the 15-year-old kids, Keith, was sharing with me Bible verses to give me hope on, on this video. And so, I, so when I think about why I invest in whatever city I'm at, wherever place, whatever place God puts me in, it's not necessarily for those messages, but man, it boomerangs around. It boomerangs around because at a time when I needed hope, when I needed encouragement, they said, man, you've invested so much in us, Sam. This is the least we can do. We are here for you. I never in a million years would have, would have, would I have thought that these 15 and 16-year-old kids, 10 of them, and then one of the nonprofit leaders would be able to encourage me and support me at a time when I needed it most. And so that's a long-winded way of saying when you give, it's given back to you. The Bible says it's pressed down, it's shaken together, and it runs over. When you give, when you serve, when you seek justice, when you love mercy, when you walk humbly, when you do like Trey does and says, I don't care where I'm at, I'm going to invest. When you do like Steve does and says, man, I don't care where I'm at, I'm going to invest. I'm going to go on this journey. Steve, when I, hear, when I think about you, I think about just this amazing journey that God has put you on. And everywhere you go, you just deposit, like you deposit. Like when you were with us, with the Bears, you were depositing. You come to the facility two times a week for the last couple months or of, of the season and just deposited into us. And Trey, everywhere you go, you deposit. I feel like what I try to do is I try to deposit wherever I go. And that's what I, that's, that's the reason why I started this podcast. The reason why we started the nonprofit, the reason why, why we, we give and why we donate, why we serve. Cause I think it's, it's put it this way. 
the example you gave earlier, Steve, about compassion and about this thing not feeling right, something doesn't feel right. I'll give you an example of the exact opposite of that. Probably August 17th, six to eight weeks after George Floyd was murdered, and we had this idea of building this food mart. Well, the food mart opened up. Austin Harvest opened. And I got a chance to walk to this place that used to be a liquor store where there used to be a lot of drugs and violence and gang activity. And now all of a sudden it's this beautiful flower growing. And that just felt right. It just felt right. It felt like it, 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 it felt like heaven on earth. There's like the three best days of my life. Number one was the day I got married. Best day of my life. And you could say 1A and 1B because I did a Nigerian wedding and an American wedding. Best days of my life. The second day was probably the day that our first child was born. Best day of my life. And the third was seeing Austin Harvest open. It felt like heaven on earth. Yeah, it's awesome. The Austin Harvest thing is so cool, dude. So cool. Yeah. And you did it, man. Like you, I mean, people don't realize like, Without you, Trey Burton, oh, none of this even happens. Like we had an idea a couple years ago when we said, okay, we raised this money, we made some change, but we said, what if we could make it last longer? And there's been so much back and forth, and we're still trying to figure it out, if we're being totally honest. But without your wisdom, your guidance, your your um, investment, your your like your measured approach, because some, sometimes like we we're like a yin and yang in a lot of ways. I'm like, let's go, come on, hurry up, and you're like, dude, let's have a plan, chill out. And like we plan, we think, we conspire together, right? We commit together, and then all of a sudden something grows from nothing. And so if I could encourage anybody listening, I would say, just to Steve's point, I know you flipped the question on us, but it just seems like when you do commit with somebody else, whether that's in a marriage, whether that's in a friendship, whether that's in a relationship, no matter whether that's to your craft, to your kids, to your job, whatever, things grow from that. And that's what I've seen firsthand. Well, see, and I was going to say, I mean, kind of really quick, what I would say, commitment for me and my experience, it's been commitment, but a community as well. And like guys doing it together, it's so much easier. I mean, I think we now more than ever know the importance of community with all the craziness that we've been going on, that's been going on in our world um, here in America. And so, uh, it's just been really cool to, it's, it's a lot harder to say no to a group of guys, you know, and it's a lot easier to be like, all right, let's go, let's do this, you know, regardless of what your strength is. And I think like one of the unbelievable things about you, Sam, is like, you know what your strength is. You have so much wisdom and so much knowledge and you're not afraid to speak up and stand face to face with whatever the issue is. But it helps when you have people behind you, you know what I mean? Because no, like locked arms basically, you know, with you uh, at the time. So I would say, you know, community, knowing what your strength is and try to partner yourself. Like like you said, well, you and I are like, you couldn't ask for a better uh, partner or a better person to connect with because I don't like to speak. Like I hate speaking. I don't like doing this. Obviously, I'm doing it for you because I love you and, and all that. But like you're the speaker and you do that better than anybody else, you know, I've ever met. And so, but I like to think, you know, and I, I like to do the stuff behind the scenes. And so figure out what your strength is and partner yourself with other men and women who uh, like-minded, you know, thoughts, but might have a different strength. Um, and that's, you get, you get what you're getting, you know, kind of right now. Mm. No, I appreciate that. Man, I appreciate both of you all more than you know. 
Um, thank you all so much for joining the Athletes for Justice podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow us, reach out to us on social media. Let us know who else you want to hear from. Let us know some nuggets and tidbits that you heard uh, from Trey and from Steve. And I can't wait to see you all next time. That was amazing. Thank you again to Trey Burton and Steve Carter for having that conversation. A couple notes. I love doing this at the end for those who were listening. Just the point that Steve made that changed him. The point of donde están? Where are they? The point where that belief that he had to do something was birth. He also talked about the, the saying his mentor told him, there's so many people who are praying. And yes, God needs our prayers. But what God also needs are friends. Are you a friend of God? Are you willing to enter the pain and suffering of this world for the sake of Christ? He also talked about, Steve also said, I want to join what Jesus is up to in making the broken places right and the crooked places straight. Trey talked about commitment and community. That was a beautiful picture of of committing and what commitment looks like. One of the things that I said was getting rid of logos and getting rid of, of egos also talked about wherever you go, make it better. And when you invest in people, it boomerangs around. That was another great episode. And I'm so glad you all are are listening and are tuning in. Make sure you go and subscribe to our podcast. If you haven't already share it with friends, people who you may think may need to hear from it or may learn from it. And also let me know who else you'd want to hear from and what other questions you want answered. It's, this is a journey. We're going on a journey together. And I'm so glad you all are joining me, joining us on this journey of justice together. I love y'all.